Would you please turn with me to your study outlines as we continue our fall series entitled Momentum Through the Finish Line, which is a study of Second Chronicles. And if you want to get a picture of the forest rather than the trees, we've basically been studying one tree at a time, one king at a time from Second Chronicles. But if you want to get the big picture and, and, and see the forest for the trees, you'll see a chart that Dr. Carl Tony and, and Pastor Lisa, who is just up here, have formed uh, on this that will really help you. They call it the good, bad, and the ugly. And it's an overview of the kings from Solomon and David in 1000 BC for about 400 years until the Babylonian exile when the uh, nation of Babylon, what is today the nation of Iraq, came and conquered Israel and dragged them, or Judah, the southern kingdom, dragged them into exile into what it is today, the nation of Iraq. So that 400 years of kings is mentioned there. Now, um, they, they wanted, Lisa just caught me before I came in here. There was an outcry at the 830 service that David's uh, color here was rust rather than green. And so we had people saying, what? He's not a bad king. And that is a typo. That is a typo. David has just been elevated from rust or whatever that color is uh, to, to green. He is a good king. He made mistakes. We all know about that. But he is considered a good king. So shift him from the dark red or whatever that is. Shift him uh, to green. He has just been upgraded by the outcries of the 830. And they also protested, and Pluto is now a planet. So, you know, we are, we are covered on both of those. Now, what gets a little bit confusing sometimes uh, when you first study the Bible is that after Solomon, his son Rehoboam made a bad political mistake, and you can read about that, and the kingdom was split. There was a civil war, and the northern part was called Israel. The northern ten tribes called, continued with the name Israel. But the southern two tribes, the tribe of Judah and Benjamin, became known as Judah. So northern kingdom, Israel, southern kingdom, Judah. And so the book of First and Second Kings, it's two books that cover both the sets of kings, north and south. And that's what gets really confusing because you're like, okay, is this a northern king or a southern king? Second Chronicles is much simpler. It's just one book and it's focused just on the kings of Judah, Judah alone. And that's what you see in front of you there, um, there in the chart. Well, today we're going to look at Joash as he illustrates keys to finishing well. Now, most of the kings we've been looking at started well did not finish well. Next Sunday, we're going to reverse it, and we're going to see somebody, just a great story of somebody who started poorly but finished well. So we're going to reverse it next Sunday. But Joash fits the pattern of most of these kings. He started well. He did not finish well. Strong start. First of all, he overcame a difficult family background. And I'm telling you, you think your family's messed up? I think I have dysfunction in my family. You ain't seen nothing yet from what Joash came from. Jehoram, was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for eight years. This is his grandfather, and his grandfather held on to the kingship by killing all of his brothers. So his granddad slaughtered all of his own brothers in order to be king. <laughs> this is the saddest phrase in all the Bible. He passed away to no one's regret. Things you don't want on your tombstone right there, you know? He passed away to no one's regret. Is that like the saddest thing ever? And was buried in the city of David, but not in the tombs of the kings. That's a theme this morning, that if you were a godly king you got, uh, or a godly person, you got buried in the tombs of the kings. You were considered royalty by what you did in your life, not by how you were born, okay? But if you were not following after God, you did not get buried in the tombs of the kings. Uh, Second Chronicles 22, you think his granddad was bad? 
wait till you meet grandma. She's grandpa on steroids. When Athalia, the mother of Ahasia, saw that her son was dead, she proceeded to destroy the whole royal family of the house of Judah. She slaughtered all of her grandchildren to be queen. Now, I don't have a brother, but I can envision if I had a brother having just a bad day when you felt like killing him. Anybody have a day when they felt like? I wouldn't either, but I just thought that that was a hypothetical question. You can maybe envision that, but you can never imagine a grandmother wanting to kill her grandchildren. I see the way my wife, Kimberly, looks at our granddaughter, Kylie, and there, there's no moment when you have that fleeting uh, sense. And yet she just goes against all of human nature and kills, tries to kill. One gets away, and that's Joash. Tries to kill all of her grandchildren in order to be queen. Now you say, that, Glenn, that is so messed up. That's just wrong. That, that's like evil incarnate. Yeah, it is. And I don't believe she completely did it on her own. I believe she was demon-possessed. I believe she was under the influence of Satan. Satan hates the line of Jesus. And, he, and before Jesus, he tried to kill off the Jews so that he would smother the line, and particularly the kingly line from King David to Jesus. He tried to break that line. And so this was under satanic influence. And he holds a grudge against the Jewish people. Have you ever wondered why there's so much irrational anti-Semitism against the Jewish people? I mean, it's just, it's just so weird. They're one of the smallest people groups in history. They're just this tiny group. But why this irrational hatred of Israel? Now, don't get me wrong. Israel's not a perfect country. They have flaws. They've done things that are unjust. They, they've made mistakes. But why is it that there are dozens of countries that do way worse than Israel, and the world community doesn't say a peep. And Israel does one little wrong thing, and the whole you know, world community rises up in condemnation. Why this irrational hatred of Israel? Why this irrational anti-Semitic hatred of the Jewish people? I believe it's satanic. This prejudice is satanic, and all prejudice is satanic. But this one, it's because they hold a grudge against them because they produce Jesus who defeated him. Now, every time you see an Athalia that tries to snuff out the Jews or snuff out the line of Jesus, you have a Jehoshabed who rises up to stop them. God uses to stop them from doing that. And you can see that all through history. Every time Satan uses a Pharaoh to kill uh, the, the Jews, he, God raises up a Jochebed, the mother of Moses. He raises up the Hebrew midwives to stop Pharaoh from doing that. Every time a Haman, we just had our children up here with the kingdom kids, and they did that great play on Esther um, back in the spring. And every time Satan raises up a Haman, uh, God raises up a Mordecai and Esther to stop Haman. Every time Satan raises up a Herod to kill the baby boys in Bethlehem, God raises up a Mary and Joseph led by a dream by an angel to flee to Egypt to protect him. Every time, this might be stretching it a bit, but every time Satan raises up a Hitler, God raises up the World War II generation. If you're a member of the World War II generation, whether you're a veteran uh, abroad or whether you were serving at home uh, to hold down the fort with factories and production or just to hold down the home front, if you're part of that World War II generation, I believe God raised you up to stop the satanic attack against the Jewish people by Adolf Hitler. And so every time there's an Athalia, God raises up a Jehoshaphat. But Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Jehoram, 
took Joash, son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the royal princes. This was Joab's um, aunt, and her husband Jehoiada was his uncle. So his aunt and uncle save his life, who were about to be murdered, and put him and his nurse in a bedroom. Because Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Jehoram, and wife of the priest Jehoiada, was Ahaziah's sister, she hid the child from Athaliah so she could not kill him. He remained hidden with them at the temple of God for six years while Athaliah ruled the land. So, talk about a messed up family. His grandfather is a murderer. His grandmother wanted to murder all the, murdered all the grandchildren, would have murdered him, but he hides out from six months from his grandmother who wants to murder him. Now, even if we have a tough family background, or maybe we have a tough physical or emotional disability, or we have some kind of hard start to life, we can choose to be bitter or to be better. We can just nurse that grudge against God for the rest of our lives, bitter about the rough start that we had, and I don't know what that was for you, but what was the hard part of your childhood? I, I, I'm not, I don't know, but God knows. You can either be bitter about that and shake your fist at God for the rest of your life, or you can turn that over to God and he can work out his perfect will and make things not bitter, but better. Does anybody want to say amen to that? And he chose uh, the latter. He submitted to solid spiritual leadership. He didn't have parents that were godly examples, but he adopted a spiritual aunt and uncle who became that example to him. And you can do the same thing. Next page of your study outline. Second uh, Chronicles chapter 24. Joash was seven years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem for 40 years. His mother's name was Zibiah. She was from Beersheba. Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the years of Jehoiada, the priest. He was like a spiritual parent to him, a role model. And he trained him in learning to depend on God uh, during that time. Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Now, when we're children, we think to ourselves, God just put that in there to irritate us. God just put that in there to bug us. No, there's a very important thing going on here. It's the principle of learning to submit to authority and saying, that person is smarter than me. Just learning that life lesson is the key to the rest of your life. And when we have parents and we don't always agree with what they do or, or, or how they handle things or what they, we think we're smarter than our parents, but if we learn to, even when we think we're smarter than our parents, submit to their authority, there's important training going on. We're learning to eventually in adulthood believe that God is smarter than us and learn to submit to his authority even when we don't understand what he's up to, even when we don't understand his ways. And it says that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on the earth. You have the wind at your back when we learn that lesson that God's smarter than me and we live our lives that way. But if we live our lives shaking our fist at our parents' authority and thereby never learn to submit to God's authority, always live in our life thinking we're smarter than God, that's when we live our lives with a wind at our face rather than the wind at our back. Hebrews 13 verse 7 says this is true of other spiritual leaders as well. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And that's what Joash did with uh, Jehoiada and with Jehoshaphat. 
Then number three, he fulfilled his purpose by repairing the temple. Uh, Our favorite Greek word here at PFB is oikos. Our favorite English word is purpose. Purpose, purpose, purpose. Figure out what's that one thing God wants you to do before you die and make sure you do that. That's the essence of life. Once you come to Christ, figure out that one thing God wants you to do before you die and make sure you do that thing first so that you get it done so that you don't die having never fulfilled your purpose. And his purpose was to repair the temple. Now we put the picture of Solomon's temple up there. And this is an important principle we've seen in 2 Chronicles. That is, a couple of weeks ago we talked about Solomon building it, but that everybody subsequent to Solomon, this was like a spiritual Rorschach test, okay? This was like, you look at the temple, and if it was in good repair, that meant it was a mirror of the hearts of the people. They loved God, they were on fire for God. And so if, if the temple was in good repair, they're on fire for God, they're following after God. But if it falls into disrepair, that was a mirror of the fact that they had, they were, their heart was not near God, uh, they had turned their backs on God, and they were not enthusiastic about the things of God. And it's been unbelievable to me as we build towards October 20th. Our momentum campaign builds to three weeks from today. Just encourage everybody, if at all possible, to be in town and, and to be here as we're going to, it's just going to be an exciting day with food and activities around the campus. It's just going to be an awesome vision casting, fun filled day. It's just going to be a great, great day. But we're going to see how we put this principle into the life of our church, that how the temple appears is a mirror to the community around us as to our enthusiasm or lack thereof uh, for the things of God. And we're going to put that principle into action here in, in on October 20th. Uh, chapter 24, verse 4. Sometime later, Joash decided to restore the temple of the Lord. He called together the priests and Levites and said to them, go to the towns of Judah and collect the money due annually from all of Israel to repair the temple of your God. Do it now. But the Levites, who were under the leadership of Jehoiada, did not act at once. They procrastinated. They didn't do it right away. Now, uh, we got to cut some slack to Jehoiada. Because as we're going to see, he died at the age of 130 which means he was way beyond age 100 when this part of the story takes place. Now, how many of you think you might slow down a little bit by the age of 100, okay? I mean, I'm one step closer to 100 today, all right? I'm 57, so I just moved from my mid-50s. Now I'm in my late 50s, okay? And I thought about that a good deal, all right? And, and so one step closer to 100. And so we've got to cut him some slack that he didn't quite have the energy and the enthusiasm at this age that he did earlier, But Joash calls him on it, nonetheless. Therefore the king summoned Jehoiada the chief priest and said to him, Why haven't you required the Levites to bring in from Judah and Jerusalem the tax imposed by Moses, the servant of the Lord, and by the assembly of Israel for the tent of the covenant law? Why haven't you followed through? Now here's what I love about this story. Is Jehoiada mentored Joash, but now Joash is mentoring Jehoiada. And I tell you, one of the most fun things for me at this stage in my life, one of the things I just love, is now my adult children, when they were young, I mentored them. But now my adult children, in many ways, are mentoring me. 
I love it when they call me on certain things. I, I love it when, you know, they say, you know, Dad, I disagree with you, and here are the reasons why I disagree. I, I love that, that role reversal that's, that's kind of gently going on. And so when they were young, I mentored them. But now as adults, in so many ways, they mentor me. There are young pastors, there are some that are on our staff and some that have gone on to other situations in churches And I love the fact that these young pastors that I mentored when they were young pastors are now mentoring me. And now I learned so much from them in this role reversal uh, that is is taking place. And this is what's going on between Jehoiada and uh, Joash. Now the sons of that wicked woman, Athalia, had broken into the temple of God and had used even its sacred objects for the Baals. At the king's command, a chest was made and placed outside at the gate of the temple of the Lord. Now, I don't know if there's anybody in this service old enough and will admit to being old enough. Do you ever remember the phrase Joash chest? Anybody remember that? It's for, oh my goodness, that like nobody at this service. And I guarantee nobody at 1111. There were a sprinkling of hands at 830, so I should have just left it alone, okay? Um, this is an old-fashioned church term, where you would have a chest and you'd have basically an offering box. If you miss the offering or if you don't give online, there are boxes at each of the exits and people can place their offering into the offering box. Well, basically this is very biblical. It's called a Joash chest in which the offering was placed in these offering boxes. And so that this is where that term comes from. A proclamation was then issued in Judah and Jerusalem that they should bring to the Lord the tax that Moses, the servant of God, had required of Israel in the wilderness. All the officials, okay, the leaders led the way, and then all the people brought their contributions, gladly dropping them into the chest until it was full. Whenever the chest was brought in by the Levites to the king's officials, and they saw that there was a large amount of money, the royal secretary and the officer of the chief priest would come and empty the chest and carry it back to its place. They did this regularly and collected a great amount of money. The king and Jehoiada gave it to those who carried out the work required for the temple of the Lord. And this is exactly what we're going to do. Talk about it three weeks from today on October 20th. They hired masons and carpenters to restore the Lord's temple and also workers in iron and bronze to repair the temple. The men in charge of the work were diligent and the repairs progressed under them. They rebuilt the temple of God according to its original design and reinforced it. When they had finished, they brought the rest of the money to the king and Jehoiada, and with it were made articles for the Lord's temple, articles for the service and for the burnt offerings, and also dishes and other objects of gold and silver. As long as Jehoiada lived, burnt offerings were presented continually in the temple of the Lord. Now Jehoiada was old and full of years, and he died at the age of 130. He was buried with the kings in the city of David. Isn't that interesting? The two previous kings, Jehoram, Joash's grandfather, Ahaziah, his father, even though they were born royalty, they were not buried as royalty. But Jehoiada, who was not born as royalty, God looks at him and says, you are royalty. What did he do? Because of the good he had done in Israel for God and for his temple. When we live uh, for the cause of Christ, when we live for the building of the body of Christ, his church, the kingdom of God, it says because of the good he had done in Israel for God and his temple, God sees us as royalty. He sees us as his sons and daughters, and we are buried, we are welcomed into heaven with royal honors. 
Uh, great honor. We step through that, that gate into heaven and we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy master. Now, Jehoram the king, not buried with the kings. Ahaziah, not buried with the kings. Joash, not buried with the kings. You said, what went wrong? He had such a great start. What happened? Well, we're going to find out in just a moment. Week finish, number one, he does not stand on his own convictions. He was a leaner. Now, a certain time in life, this is okay. When we're children, we're supposed to lean on our parents' faith. When we're young Christians, we're supposed to lean on, on, on a mentor. But he never learned the lesson of being able to stand on his own two feet. Hebrews 5, we have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. The writer of Hebrews says it's okay to lean for a while, but eventually you got to stand on your own two feet. Number two, he does not find new places for spiritual encouragement. He doesn't, he, he leans on Jehoiada. As long as Jehoiada's alive, he's good. But as soon as Jehoiada dies, he doesn't, he, not only does he not stand on his own two feet, but he doesn't replace Jehoiada with other places for spiritual encouragement. Now, you've heard me say this theory before, and it's just a theory. You can take it or leave it. But I have this theory that whatever was the preaching or worship or church style of the church or the pastor or the worship leader, when you came to Christ, when you got saved, um, when you got excited about the things of the Lord, we fixate on that and say that's the only way it should be done. I grew up in West End Presbyterian Church in Hopewell, Virginia, and my hero was Pastor Kennedy Smart. And for years, boy, if you didn't preach like Kennedy Smart, that wasn't legitimate preaching. If the worship wasn't like West End Presbyterian Church in Hopewell, Virginia, that was not legitimate worship. If things weren't done like West End Presbyterian, that was not the real way you should do church. And I had become a finicky eater. And many people do that. Whatever the teaching style is, if they came to Christ under verse-by-verse teaching, that's the only way it should be. They came to Christ under topical preaching, that's the only way it should be. If, uh, if worship was a certain way when I got saved, that's the way it should always be. You know, really, that's what Islam is. Islam is basically a codification, a fixation on Arabian culture in the Arabian Peninsula during the lifetime of Muhammad in 600 AD and forcing that on every subsequent generation and every subsequent culture in which it goes. The opposite of Christianity, which has the basic truths of the Bible, but it has adjusted itself culture by culture as it's gone all around the world. It has adjusted itself, um, you know, conservative and orthodoxy, the right doctrine, but uh, liberal and accommodating and transformational in orthopraxy, the practice of the faith. And wherever it goes into different cultures around the world, um, it takes the truths of God's word, which will never change, and moves them into a new culture or generation to generation with new generations. And, and, and yet this is what we still have a temptation to do in the Christian life. It's kind of like saying, I will never eat any other cooking except my mother's cooking. Mother's cooking is all I'm ever going to eat. Or if I do eat from somebody else that cooked it, it's got to be just like the way my mother did it. Or it's like saying the first restaurant I ever ate at, that's the only restaurant I'm ever going to go to the rest of my life. If as a kid I went to McDonald's, I'm never eating anywhere but McDonald's the rest of my life. Can you think how much nutrition you would miss out on if you never ate at anything except the first restaurant you ever uh, ate at? 
And yet we've, we've got to be careful not to be finicky eaters. I love Eric Holstrom, our high school pastor, doing such tremendous, and he has shared research with us that he is passionate about this. You know, it is troubling, the research, that says that many kids that have a wonderful high school youth group experience drift from the Lord later in life. You know why that they, they believe that we believe this happens? Is because nothing in the local church can replicate that the, the thing that goes on. When you're in an alive high school youth group, it is like intense. And it's hard to make the adjustment to just a regular local church. And so Eric, Pastor Eric, has this whole strategy where they're going to be integrated into the 1111 service, and they're going to be in leadership in that service, and they're going to be, have a visible presence in that service, and that's going to be their, their worship service because research has shown that if they make the transition, even while they're in their high school youth group, if at the same time they're connecting with adults, and he's actually asking the adults at the 1111 service to go as missionaries to the high schoolers. And they, research has shown that if, if, they, if young people, young adults in their high school years, if three adults other than their parents know their name, they will not drift from the faith later on. If they just simply have three adults of a different generation that know their name and come up to them and ask them how they're doing and how school's doing, they've shown that that drastically reduces the number that drift. Because what happens is they leave and they don't have the intensity of that youth group experience. They go away to college. They go to a different town. And, and just nothing measures up. They haven't learned to connect multi-generationally. And Pastor Eric has this whole encouragement as to how to do that. You know, I never like to... To, to criticize other, you know, churches. You, you can come here for years and never hear me do that. So if you're a visitor, this is not a typical thing. But I believe that some churches intentionally give the impression that if you're not doing it the way, exact way we're doing it, it's just not legitimate. If you're not teaching the word, we're teaching it, not legitimate. And, and, and they'll come to our church sometime, and you can kind of sense them holding you at arm's length. They say, wow, this is a great church, but it's not quite like they did it at such and such. And, 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 and I understand why they do it, because it really works to hold the sheep in that particular pasture. Because if it's non-legitimate elsewhere, why? But the problem comes when people move, uh, they, they go to a different place, and all of a sudden, they become finicky eaters, and, and they just can never really fall in love with another church. I would hope, my hope is that if you ever move to another place, that you could check out a wide variety of churches, not just Baptist, but Evangelical Free Church, or Nazarene, or Calvary Chapel, or you know, an Evangelical Presbyterian Church. I, you know, I, I would hope you could go to a wide variety of other places, and you could receive from other pastors. You could receive um, different styles of worship, and, it, and we would not be finicky eaters, but we can receive from different places. And when we lose our Jehoiada, that we could find a new place of spiritual encouragement. I think that's one of the advantages to having such different styles on our teaching team. I and mean, Pastor Brian's very different than me, and same with, uh, with Pastor Lisa and Pastor Greg, and now Pastor Eric, our high school pastor, will be part of our teaching team, and he's very different. And, and, and you know, that's healthy. Because we can grow from different places. It doesn't have to be a one-size-fits-all. Anybody want to say amen to that? Okay, you can read the rest on your own. As a result of this, Joash caves into peer pressure. Number four, he rejects godly confrontation. And number five, the outcome is disastrous. And for your quiet time later today, you can just read the rest of that because uh, they're kind of self-explanatory from the text. Um, Let's stand uh, for our closing benediction. Just a reminder, 
that there is the prayer room is open. The deacons are anxiously awaiting. They would love to pray with you, whatever the need might be, physical, emotional, spiritual. They just love to pray with you. That room is right there off the lower part of the worship center, and they would love to pray with you. I want to close with two verses for our benediction. Uh, The first is Acts 20, verse 32, and the second is 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's family said, amen. God bless you. Have a great, great day.